Take a look behind the curtain with a real whistleblower and American patriot. Prepare to embrace the uncomfortable truth because this program has no time for comforting lies. Here is civil liberties enthusiast, Second Amendment defender, and recovering FBI agent, Kyle Serafin. Hello, my friends. Welcome to the Kyle Serafin Show for August 31st. Today is a Thursday. And once again, Kyle Serafin is not in the captain's chair. He is still home with mom, new baby, family, enjoying one last day. He will be back tomorrow for a friendly Friday. Uh, but I am here, the real Steve friend. And like Douglas MacArthur in the Philippines, I have returned. And along with me is going to be my Admiral Nimitz, the GOB actual Garrett O'Boyle. Admit it, Garrett, you did not expect a World War II Pacific Theater reference this morning. I certainly did not, but you know what? I'm here for it. I love it. I think it's appropriate. I mean, Kyle's definitely a, a Patton-esque figure. Um, you know, he got, he got all the acclaim and, and definitely won the, the, the great European theater. But uh, come on, there's something to be said for the Pacific theater here. We, we, did, we did well. We, 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 I think, exceeded expectations yesterday. We triumphed over uh, the low bar of Alec Baldwin. We certainly <laughs> exceeded uh, Senator McConnell's performance. So I think we were called back by popular demand, or at least in a pinch, we uh, reached a level of mediocrity that uh, gave us one more day here in the captain's chair. I'll take as many as I can get. Well, I'm glad to have you here, buddy. Uh, I think that we're going to have a, a pretty good show today. I want to delve and lean hard into the uncomfortable truths that the Kyle Surfing Show has, uh, has brought its audience since its inception almost a year ago. It's The time has definitely uh, flown by here for, for myself, and I know for you as well. Yep. Uh, but before I do that, we want to acknowledge the sponsors of the show. Ryan up, spinning on the dials, uh, is going to queue up a inspirational message from Catholic Vote. and uh, And when he is ready for that, he can roll it. This great nation will endure as it has endured, will revive and will prosper. That the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept one we are unwilling to postpone, and one we intend to win. This is America, a brilliant diversity, spread like stars, like a thousand points of light in a broad and peaceful sky. We must act today in order to preserve tomorrow. The economic ills we suffer will go away because we, as Americans, have the capacity now as we've had in the past to do whatever needs to be done to preserve this last and greatest bastion of freedom. All right, what up, Rumble? We're here at the Texas-Mexico border. We're in far Texas. I'm now in America with my Patriot cooler. Guess what? Now I'm in Mexico in my Patriot cooler, with my Patriot cooler. You guys want to stay cool when it's 105 degrees out here in Texas. Visit PatriotCooler.com, promo code Kyle. That's K-Y-L-E, promo code Kyle. Show this channel some love. We're down here. And again, don't forget to tell Mayorkas that the, uh, this border is definitely not open. No, no way. No border open here. This is where the uh, Border Patrol agent told us to not stay put for too long. So uh, we're going to keep moving on. 
Well done, Ryan. I mean, I was ready to run through a, a brick wall after I saw those inspirational quotes from the president. <laughs> and then when I saw you breaking some international law to advertise our great sponsor, Patriot Cooler, now I'm ready to just I don't know, lift up a whole house over my head. Uh, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna go, go whole Hulk. So, uh, and I'm I'm gonna need I'm gonna need some strength here. I think uh, we're gonna get into some very uncomfortable, some tough facts, and I want to push the audience here today uh, because I, I think the temptation when you're the fill-in host is to just throw out the platitudes paint by numbers, talk about, we need tax cuts and a strong national defense, like it's 1998, uh, but we're not going to do that today. So I was taught very early on, and Garrett, I don't know if you've had this experience, especially with the military, when somebody has to eat a bleep sandwich, you have to give them it to them in a sandwich form. So you give them something good, and then they got to eat the bleep, and then they got to finish with something good. So that's the way I want to structure today's show. Um, so first, let's start on a lighter note. And uh, I don't know how you felt about yesterday, but I felt pretty good. And uh, I've been doing the media thing for just about 10 months now. And I know when it first happened, the, the novelty of it uh, hit my kids pretty hard and they were really excited. And now it's gotten to the point where they just shrug. So when I went, uh, I left my office and my studio and was bragging to my nine-year-old yesterday that, hey, I just hosted a show. Uh, it was on the internet and people around the world could watch it. And he said, did you talk about me? <laughs> I said, no. Well, that... And he said, well, I'm not really interested in that at all. And my, my younger boy, uh, when I got stressed out last week, I had a lot going on. He said, you should just have mom go on TV for you so that you can come and hang out with me instead and play video games. So <laughs> they're not grasping it. I don't know how your four are, if they're sort of picking up on it or they've become acclimated to the temperature of the water. Uh, what's, what's been the, uh, the old boil? Yeah. Um, you know, the novelty wore off pretty quick uh, for at least the oldest two who are the most aware. Uh, Gwen, she's seven and Iris is six. But uh, now it's already to the point where they're like, you're doing an, an interview again or you're doing another show or you're on the news again. And I'm like, well, it's Newsmax. So I don't know how many people really watch. But yeah, I am. And they're like, oh, can't, you know, they're they're over it. It didn't take long. I bet you by uh, the end of June, they were like, okay, we've had enough. Yeah, I mean, I think the novelty wears off pretty quick with the kids, especially when they don't have that experience. But I want to get some dad cool points. So for the uh, the first part of the sandwich today, Ryan, would you mind throwing up that picture I threw you today? This is the first experience I had um, doing media back in the day when my kids were excited that I was going on TV. So now they will have no excuse but to watch this full episode in a time capsule. They can have it forever. Little guy there, his birthday is tomorrow. Happy birthday, Evan. He'll be turning six years old. And the older one, uh, Mason, uh, buddy, proud of everything you're doing. So uh, thank you for them for the last year that you've made this whole, whole experience here worth it. So thank the audience here for letting me indulge on that. Uh, but I wanted to get that out there so we can get into the meat of things. So we have to get serious, Sarah fans. That's what I'm going to lead off with. And I want to sort of lay the groundwork for the type of environment that we're all living through right now and then maybe get the heads nodding a little bit and then open it up to what, uh, what sort of accountability is going to fall on our own shoulders here. So Garrett, FBI, DOJ, completely weaponized at this point. Would you agree? I agree. And I mean, I, I'll even caveat it. Like, I get it. Somebody in my position, of course, that's what they're going to say, but uh, but that being said, I wouldn't be in this position if they weren't weaponized because they would have said, hey, man, this dude's he's whistleblowing. 
how he's supposed to be. Uh, because that's, I, I don't know if I ever told you this, Steve, or if you ever heard me say it, but uh, when I started whistleblowing, it was right, it was shortly after I took the annual whistleblower training uh, in 2021, and I was taking copious notes, which I had never done. And I did because the thought had already been in my mind. And I was like, okay, I'm going to get this right. Cause I, I didn't, I don't want to get in trouble and well, fast forward to now and, and look where we are. So definitely difficult for someone like me to say otherwise, but also I think we can point to about, I don't know, uh, 50 dozen other um, examples of how it has been weaponized, not just the whistleblower aspect, but all sorts of different aspects that we can, we can look at. Yeah. I mean, we talked about it yesterday, like the, the folks who are facing the face act, violation in the, in the D.C. district. They're looking at 11 years in prison. Anthony Weiner got 21 months for mm-hmm. sexting a juvenile. So, I mean, look, it's it's been well documented, certainly on our side, uh, and we've brought that out. We really hammered a bunch of those issues yesterday. We have a border crisis. So Ryan was down there, and that's how we got our, our Patriot Cooler ad filmed. He was down there showing how the, the problems that exist there were thousands of people across and it's the, the flow has not been stemmed even though the attention has waned on that issue uh, and i remember in high school a teacher talking about the population of china and at the point where they had implemented the one child policy and he was saying that uh if they had not to sort of bring their population down which again i, I would probably argue is a bad idea anyway but the the strategy militarily because this was a a JROTC class he said that the the chinese could win just about any war in modern day warfare by just sending a million people over the border and having them surrender and then the next day sending another million and having them surrender and eventually you know probably within a week their whoever their adversary was would have no no way to handle that volume of people who were just peacefully surrendering and i think that there is a a logical, reasonable explanation you could say, especially now that we're finding some of these these Chinese uh, people that are crossing our border, that they might be doing that to a certain extent, or at least funding people who are not necessarily of Chinese persuasion, but because of the Belt and Roads Program, they have relationships with other nations, certainly throughout Africa and Eastern Asia. And those people seem to be finding their way across the, uh, the Texas border. Would you agree? Yeah. I mean, I, I want to say as soon as I was in the FBI, they were telling us uh, about about that, that, that um, foreign nationals, not just from Mexico or, or South America, were going to those countries and traveling north to cross our southern border because uh, everybody knows how weak it was. And um, that was when Trump was president. And he was the one who was trying to, to make it a, a little more difficult to get across. And, you know, I, I think he... He did uh, help in that regard, but that the southern border has been such a monumental problem for, man, probably as long as I've been paying attention to politics, it seems like. Yeah, it just gets tossed around, I guess, to, to get the, the fundraising or the uh, the election uh, people jazzed up, and it just is, 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 is sort of like in vogue. It's a, It always comes back. What's it? Every 20-year cycle of of dress and apparel. So that's why I always, I never change my style because I'm always saying like, I'm, I'm ahead of the curve if I'm not in it, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, we have a radical environmental green new deal movement that is out of control here where, you know, you watch the weather channel and it used to be very cut and dry with the color scheme. If it was hot, it would be red or 
yellow or orange and now they make it look like it's an eruption from mount etna because it's 88 degrees in phoenix <laughs> in march and i mean it, it, it that's percolated into the culture and then you can look at the uh, i looked at a recent poll from yougov that was done and uh folks of that were biden voters their number one issue was environmental issues and it was something like the number one issue of almost a quarter of the voters wow. that was their their primary concern and, and look at the debate last week the republicans the young the yaf the young americans for freedom their question concerned young people's emotions regarding environmental problems uh, and i had a discussion probably in the last week or so with my folks and we were talking about gavin newsom in california mm. And uh, my, my point to anybody who sort of rolls their eyes and they say, well, he's an abject, he's a failure. And I said, no, he's not. He's a success. The people vote for him and he's doing what he wants. From an environmental standpoint, California could impact you, could impact me with one simple decision. They could say no more diesel fueled freight trucks in our state. And you consider all the ports that are along the Pacific coast that are in California and the fleets that are going to have to navigate that regulation and the expense that they'd have to go through to have an electric vehicle fleet for and a diesel fleet or just transition entirely over to electric because of the quantity of product they're moving from California it would probably financially make more sense for them to go electric. So if that were to happen, the expenses of goods that you order and I order and we get in our grocery store would explode exponentially. And essentially California through its radical green agenda would dictate the rest of the nation's lives, livelihood. Your thoughts? Yeah, you know, um, I, th I think that's a, a strong takeaway. One thing I've, I, I don't know where I first learned this. I'm certain it's not an original thought. I, I'm sure I picked it up somewhere. But uh, California, they're ahead of the bell curve, or in a lot of ways, they are the bell curve for where America is headed. The rest of the country is usually... I don't know, anywhere from 10 to 20 years behind whatever California is doing. And so they they lead the way for our liberal agenda. Uh, and they, they always have, or again, at least as long as I've been paying attention. And uh, you're right. Um, so in regards to electric vehicles or going away from diesel, I think it's pretty clear for anyone who's been paying a little bit of, of attention to the energy sector and uh, where that technology is at, like, yeah, Teslas are cool. And, um, the, the, the innovation and the technology is, is certainly on the cutting edge, but it's not quite there yet. And it would be awesome if we could move away from fossil fuels and yeah, sure. Would that be great? Probably. Um, uh, but then it makes me think of something, um, actually Ryan and I were talking about this after the show yesterday. Uh, there was a guy who, created an engine that ran on water and what happened to him well he ended up dead and while he was dying he said they killed me and um so it, it makes me think like whether it's fossil fuels whether it's electric uh whatever the energy source is or whatever the any energy source that we're headed to is it, it's all again about control and in a lot of ways people like gavin newsom and other elites, you know, I think of uh, Trudeau up in Canada. He's another one. I, I feel like those two are, uh, they're, they're like pen pals. You know, they're, they're so similar in a lot of ways. But um, they, all they care about is control and they want to keep you under their thumb. You know, I, I remember back during COVID, um, Gavin Newsom was caught 
at the at the French Laundry, a really expensive restaurant out there, uh, not wearing a mask, not social distancing, and and all of that. And you know, he ended up still winning his uh, his recall election bid. And it's like, well, you know, sometimes we get what we deserve, and we certainly uh, get the leaders uh, that we the quote unquote leaders that we deserve. And I think California is a quintessential example of that. Hey, Garrett, yeah, I got I that video queued up. If you guys want to watch it. Yeah, roll it. Yeah. There was a video that was uh, circulating many years ago about a guy who created a car that runs on water. And then this car that ran on water, I mean, it apparently had a viable engine and it was really working. And, uh, and then he, he had a heart attack. As he was dying, he was saying, they killed me. They killed me. And then he died. Wow. He took a sip of cranberry juice. Then he grabbed his neck, bolted out the door, dropped to his knees and vomited violently. I ran outside and asked him what's wrong. His brother, Stefan Meyer, uh, recalled, he said, they poisoned me. That was his dying declaration. That's fucked up. That's fucked up. Oh, sorry to know the F-bombs were in there. <laughs> That's Joe Rogan. You got to get point. It's uh, a family I mean, show. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, who knows? At this point, especially you, you touched on it, Garrett, with the, the coronavirus stuff and everything that was hidden with uh, – all the alternative methods of treating that and how bad it is. And I think it was just run out in, uh, in the guardian that the death toll that is now being touted to justify more lockdowns, mass mandates, wait for it. COVID 23 is coming. They're saying that less than 1% of the people that have died that were originally attributed to coronavirus are actually coronavirus induced deaths. So the manipulation for that is is outrageous, and it's resulted in, I would argue, a democide, which is the government killing its own people for no reason, innocent people, uh, with the uh, the with the vaccine at this point. I mean, I don't, I don't, it's arguably one of the worst, most catastrophic uh, actions um, the government has had taken on its own people in in recent memory. Yeah, no doubt about it, and. I mean, honestly, we could probably do at least an entire show on on just that aspect. But, you know, it makes me think of um, what the Japanese and Germans were doing during World War II that we found out about later, uh, like experiments that they were doing on on POWs or even in Japan. I think sometimes it was even their own citizenry. And you can see that and people look at that and say, well, that's that was horrible. I mean, look at the details of what was going on there. And it's it's for a lot of people, it's a little more clear cut. Well, guess what? Like tyrannical governments do, they learn from the past and some of the slip ups and mistakes of of their predecessors. I don't think this is any, any different. And then in a, in a lot of ways, it was a global campaign to get as many people vaccinated as quickly as possible. And you better do it or else. And it's coming back around even here now in the quote unquote land of the free. You would think we we would have learned from our previous missteps with with the first round of covid that lasted two weeks oh wait uh two and a half years um yeah but uh but yeah i don't know it'll be interesting to see what america writ large does uh since we kind of had a test run and everybody you know i say everybody the majority of people just went with the program because it was oh the experts they and the government who are often looked to as the experts well they're telling us that we have to do these things. And then we, we did them. We masked and we social distanced and we, well, we, the Royal, we uh, got vaccinated and 
because we were told to, and we were told that it was our civic duty and that we would be harming other people if we didn't do these things. And all of that was a lie. And when the powers that be are lying so vigorously, and if you don't go along with the lie, you get punished. What other reason are they doing that for other than to control you as much as possible and to force you to do things that you don't want to do as much as possible? That, that's all it boils down to is power and control. So land of the free, man, I, I skip over that part uh, during the national anthem these days. Yeah, I think you're probably justified in doing that. Um, and then gloss over a few more of these issues just to, to lay out this itemized list here where we've, we've talked about the radical green agenda and this border crisis, this out of control, weaponized FBI, DOJ, tranny madness, international affairs. We have this war that is going on that likely we'll see boots on the grounds over it, the proxy war that is not, not really a proxy war because we're openly sending arms to Ukraine. I, and I, I saw a joke that you know, Florida had a Category 4 hurricane caused an oh, untold amount of damage. So that means we're probably going to have to send $10 million more to Ukraine. Um, and then you have a Chinese threat that's growing. I mean, what's, what is in the cards for the threat to Taiwan, which is, are we going to defend them? Are we not? There's always sort of been this ambiguous agreement, non-agreement, uh, aggression, non-aggression thing that we have rolling with China on that. And uh, I think that's that served as sort of as a deterrent. But they are going to call our bluff, I think. I think that they see us teetering a little bit. And as opposed to embracing us and making sure that we're good on our feet, they're going to they're going to push um, and, and they're they're facing their own economic problems. And they, they know their with their window of opportunity to maybe ascend to be the uh, the global hegemon, the superpower that supplants the United States uh, might be sooner rather than later. The 50 year plan uh, might be a five year plan. And if we finish with two things on this long list, we got inflation or buy inflation, as we like to call it, uh, where I saw a story last week that the last car that was a brand new car you could purchase for less than $20,000 was officially removed from the market. So if you buy a brand new car and the price of that car starts with a one, it is a six figure car. Huh. And you have the average home price that Kyle's talked about, which is now north of $400,000. So you've effectively priced out new you know, young families that are trying to buy their first home and then you've locked them into these rentals and the fact that the rental uh, monthly rates are out of control as well. And there's a lot of corporate interest in, in buying private property and then renting it out. You really create a housing crisis in the country and it's, it's all derivative of this out of control inflation that we're seeing. I mean, I, I do the grocery shopping in the friend household and I know that from two years ago, I'm spending normally 50% more on grocery for the week, every week that we go. Yeah, and sure. and we're, we're fortunate enough that, you know, we're not right at that line that I know so many people are, which is why we've seen the, the credit card debt skyrocketing out of control because people just can't afford to live a regular life. And, they, and they're not really living outside their means or, or, or just eating and then and, and housing yourself, you would think would not be living outside your means and you're not being extravagant with it. But unfortunately, I think that that's, that's come to pass for too many people. And then the last thing that I want to finish with uh, is the the indictments and the uh, on the former president of the United States that have taken all the headlines, and it's it's not just specifically to Donald Trump. I think that it, it is creating a avenue, a recipe, a game plan for 
what's next. And, and the, the bloodlust will not be satisfied with Donald Trump. I think once he is he's done and, and locked away, that uh, they will turn their attention to the next person, which likely is going to be somebody like you or me, correct? <laughs> yeah, I think in some ways they, they already have turned towards us, just uh, maybe not as full-fledged as as somebody with the notoriety like uh, Donald Trump. Um, you know, as you're going through this list, it, it's making me think uh, all of these all of these pieces are working together. And, you know, I, I guess I can't speak for everybody, but sometimes, I, at least in my own life, I get fixated on on one or two issues and those really become my focus, like like gas, for instance, it's almost four dollars a gallon here, which is crazy to me. Um, and, you know, I'll be like, wow, I can't believe gas is that much. And oh, Biden inflation. Um, but I don't always uh, remember to connect the dots that all of these uh, pieces of the puzzle are um, they're all in the same pot. And that pot is boiling or it's getting it's getting to a boil. And uh, when it boils over, man, it's going it's going to be quite the combustion of of all sorts of different sectors of our country and the world um, because, you know, there, I think there's a bigger agenda going on here, not just in America. It certainly is here uh, with all of these things you, you just mentioned. Um, but when you think of them like, Oh yeah, these are all actually working together. They're all connected. It, it, it really, at least for me, reminds me of the broader scope of what the government is doing and uh, all the powers that are at play going on and, and, um, you know, vying for that, that piece of the, of the pie and for control. Yeah. Uh, uh, look, I, th I think that we've kind of laid out a list of grievances, of usurpations, if you will, uh, that everybody's feeling. And it's, it gets sort of overwhelming to a certain extent. I mean, it's like driving, drinking out of a fire hose or a fire hydrant that you always hear uh, with when it comes to training, they just throw a lot at you. I think that you're just being attacked on all sides. And, and I'll get to this point later, too. I think I'd like to get your thoughts on, especially being a, a combat veteran, on seizing the initiative. Um, because I think right now, one side's being flanked at every opportunity and is just sort of hunkered down and is frozen in this fight, flight, or freeze. And then we've chosen freeze, and it's created that problem where we're just being vulnerable and attacked on all sides. Uh, but I think that the first step to solving a problem is admitting you have a problem and you have some accountability in that. So what I would like to do is talk about a couple items that I think that we are prone to accuse of the other side, but we need to take some responsibility for on ourselves. And, and Ryan, if you could cue up video number one for, for us. So this is something that I know everybody got, uh, got excited about and was screaming about during the election of 2020. Uh, and this was uh, our current president when he was campaigning with Charlemagne the God. Why don't you go ahead and roll it? running mate. Black people saved your political life in the primaries this year. They have things they want from you. And one of them is a black woman running mate. What, what do you say to them? What I say to them is that I'm not acknowledging anybody who is being considered, but I guarantee you there are multiple black women being considered. Multiple. Charlemagne had a follow-up question, but got interrupted by someone off camera saying their time was up. The radio host instead invited Biden to come back, but Joe's response was off-putting. Listen, you got to come see us when you come to New York, VP Biden. I a, will. It's a long way until November. We got more questions. You got more okay. questions, but I tell you, if you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, then you ain't black. 
There you have it. The sitting president of the United States making a openly racist comment. And, and that was during the, the heat of the campaign. And then that was one of the, the issues and was definitely a campaign issue uh, talking point that uh, he has this history and this proclivity to say these things and what are his true beliefs. And I think that uh, they're justifiably, anybody would be justifiable in questioning them. But what I want to point out is what happened last week after President Trump was indicted in Fulton County. And, and if you could pull up the link number one, uh, Ryan here, I want to sort of put a display on this one. And so, so President Trump surrendered in Fulton County. And immediately, it seemed to me that there were a lot of people in conservative media and social media that could not wait, including Fox News. You could argue what well, it is conservative media at this point, but definitely is the 800-pound uh, the gorilla still in, in, the, uh, in the sphere of influence. And they could not wait to say that President Trump was gaining with the black American vote as a result of his arrest. Can we pull up link number two when you're ready for that, Ryan? I would like to introduce that. And this was a an article. And granted, look, it is from MSNBC. So uh, you know, I, I I read it so you didn't have to. I uh, you know I <laughs> I had a toilet nearby, so I was good to go. But I do think that the way this this article opens up, and it's by Jahan Jones. He wrote it on Monday of this week, and he says. As conservatives try to cope with the reality that their leader, Donald Trump, is facing a wave of federal and state indictments, they're clinging to desperate hopes that the criminal charges will help his electoral chances. And following Trump's arrest in Georgia on charges related to his efforts to overturn the state's 2020 presidential election, conservative media figures have trotted out a particular desperate line that Trump is going to win over more black voters than previously thought because he's been arrested. And, and we don't have to go into the rest of it. It's obviously very politically charged, and uh, he, he comes from the, uh, the political left. But I do think that we need to take some accountability here and acknowledge that an argument that a presidential candidate is going to gain approval from a certain racial group because he got arrested might be a little bit racist. Would you agree, Garrett? Absolutely. It, you know, man, it, it's actually disgusting to me uh, to see something like that because <clears> – <throat> A lot of people on the right, <clears throat> excuse me, will always talk about, you know, we're not divided. We're not as divided as the left says we are. A race isn't as big of a deal as they say, but then they do a stunt like this. And it's like, this is just as bad. I think most people, at least most people in my life and for the majority of my life, race hasn't been an issue. And uh, that especially home to roost for me in the military because not only did I meet people from all over the country who I never otherwise would have met I met people from man all sorts of places I would never go like one of my best buddies was from like the hood of Tucson and you know he's a, he's a Latino guy and another one one of the best soldiers I ever knew black guy that him and I worked with we worked together very closely for about two years year and a half and um it didn't matter. Nobody cared. Nobody cared. But when you look at headlines like this, this is this is part of the division that they are causing on both sides. And it it, it really uh, aggravates me because, you know, today they say, oh, if, if you say that race doesn't matter, that's just another form of racism. OK. All right. So you're damned if you do and damned if you don't, no matter what race is an issue, at least to. Again, for me, it's the people who want to maintain that power and that control. They're going to use whatever they can to keep us divided. Um, 
because Steve, let me ask you this. I look like a white guy, don't I? And I talk like a white guy. I sound like I'm from the North, but would it shock you? And would you hate me more if I told you that I have uh, Middle Eastern uh, blood in me? I, there's uh, Lebanese or Syrian uh, in, in my bloodline, uh, just back two generations. So now will you hate me more because I, ha because I have some Middle Eastern in me? And also maybe, uh, maybe I can add uh, racism to the tally for what the FBI has, has done to me as well. But it's just so absurd that anybody would act like that is an actual issue. Does racism exist? Yeah, sure, it does. Um, and people who are racist are foolish. They always have been. And I think it's in such a small, um, it's such a small segment of society who, who actually acts like a race war would be a good thing that they're so irrelevant because they're so small in number that it, it basically is an, is an irrelevant topic. Yeah, I think that's well said. I mean, if I was going to be racist against you, I would just call you a Mick and make some <laughs> potato famine references and call you drunk, right? Yeah. Your name. Uh, all right. So personal accountability. Let's make sure that our own house is in order. We can't be doing that. Moving on. Government spending. Look, this is a, this has always been an issue of the right. This is even down to the, the, the Paul Ryan uh, types who were just always screaming about the budget. Um, but you and I were just talking before about buy inflation and you know, you got almost $4 a gallon gasoline, can't afford a new car, can't afford to live groceries out of control. I want to pull up link number three, Ryan, if you could. And this is uh, I think it's a pretty helpful. I wish it went back a little bit further, but it is the, the American presidency project from UC Santa Barbara. And they go back to Calvin Coolidge all the way up to current present day, uh, president Biden spending that was occurring under each president. And, uh, how old were you in 2017 through 2020, Garrett? Do you have any memories of those times? Oh uh, yeah, I've got a few of of 2017 or 1717. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean Joe Biden has memories of those, not you. Yeah. Um, uh, how old was I? Don't know. I was in my 30s. Like yeah. I, so, I mean, and the point is here. Look, if if I scroll down to the spending that was during the the Trump administration, it was over four trillion dollars in uh, the first two years, over six and a half trillion dollars in year three in 2020. And then it could, because of the way that the fiscal year works out, he gets uh, credit for 2021. And that was over $7 trillion. So the last two years of, uh, of his budgets were $3 trillion each yeah. of added debt to our national debt. And, and that, that level of spending tapered slightly under the Biden administration. I mean, it came down uh, into the 6 trillion as opposed to the 7 trillions, but I think that a lion's share of the, the inflation that we are experiencing every day with our normal expenses uh, should be attributable and, and the Republicans should held accountability for it because they're the ones that pass those budgets too. And, and a Republican president, I'm, you know, I'm not attributing it just, just to Donald Trump being the, the, the guy who did it, but it, it was perceived to be the conservative side, the party that's supposed to represent conservative beliefs, which is supposed to be fiscal sanity to some level thrust this upon us. And I, um, I reflect a lot about, do you remember when Cyprus had its haircut weekend where they, they went into everybody's bank account and took 10% of everybody's bank account. They froze oh, all the banks. I do vaguely remember this. Yeah. Yeah. And, and at the time it was, uh, how could that ever happen? And I just remember thinking, what's the difference between that and having inflation? Uh, it's just condensing the time period into three days as opposed to three years. But that's essentially what our government's done to our buying power. They've given us all a haircut. Oh, for sure. And 
you know, another, it's another topic. And I think it's another piece of the puzzle, but uh, central bank digital currency, who's to say that in the next five to 10 years, our own government, I mean, I actually think they could right now skim 10% off of everybody's bank account who isn't in catastrophic debt. Cause you know, you mentioned earlier the, the credit card debt, I forget off the top of my head what the national average is, but I know it's astronomical and you know, $7,375. Look at that. That's insane. Thanks Ryan. I mean that, that seven grand just in credit card debt alone, every, every month you're carrying that over, uh, which 20.96% interest rate. Yeah, that's insane. Like, you know, I used to make the comparison like, hey, if you had a, a monthly budget and you started overspending that budget every month, you know, I would make this comparison to government spending. And when I hear that number that people are carrying, you know, se over $7,000 on average in credit card debt every month with that 20 plus percent interest rate, it's like, oh, well, I can't even make that comparison anymore because the majority of people are in the hole just like the government and everybody goes along like, it's all going to be okay. And it's like, no, that house is going to come crashing home at some point. And it makes me think of China again and Taiwan. China owns a lot of our debt and we get the vast majority of our goods from China. So they're the ones carrying the big stick here, not us. Because, you know, you have all these people with the Ukraine flag in their Twitter profile or whatever. And they're, they're so pro that war, yet they're not willing to go and they're not willing to send their kids to go which that's, that's a whole nother topic again. But uh, where's, where's the outrage over, over Taiwan? We don't see it yet, but, oh, we'll go fight Putin in Ukraine. But we'll send, we'll send hundreds of billions of dollars to do that. And, yeah. and, and, um, I, and Ryan, can you uh, queue up video number two here? Because I think it, this links also between the, the out-of-control spending that we've seen and then the, the third topic that I want to talk about taking some accountability for, and that's going to be uh, interference with the election process in 2020 especially. Can you go ahead and roll video two? The U.S. Congress has passed and the president has signed the CARES Act. The vote came in the U.S. House of Representatives on Friday, March 27th, just two days after it passed the U.S. Senate. And it wasn't without a little bit of drama because the members of the House are at home. They had to do a roll call vote and that had some procedural hiccups along the way. But it is a done deal and the president has signed it. The CARES Act stands for Coronavirus Aid, Relief and Economic Security Act. It's about 2.2 trillion dollars in stimulus. The purpose is to revive the economy impacted by the coronavirus and to stave off a deep recession because of the consequences of the virus. Lots of unemployment, lots of businesses closed, and lots of families struggling right now as they try to make ends meet. President Trump signed the legislation Friday in an afternoon uh, ceremony in the Oval Office. This is seen as the largest emergency aid package in U.S. history. Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi acknowledged that the bill wasn't perfect, but she said hopefully it was sufficient for the time being, adding that she does understand that more must. More must be done, not perfect, but sufficient. That is a Democrat House uh, House leader and a Republican president both coming together to spend $2.2 trillion for an aid package when they told everybody to stay home. So that's your spending aspect to it. But Garrett, did you track on the, uh, and this is the, the next link up here, Ryan. This is from the GAO office. Uh, this was link 
number four. Four hundred million dollars of that was set aside for the HAVA, the Help America Vote Act of 2002, and it was devoted to assisting with the election of 2020. So essentially, mm. both parties contributed to the mail-in vote voting fiasco that we witnessed in 2020 through a virus aid package. Right, which that has nothing to do with the virus, a pandemic, an emergency power authority where we need more money for whatever other things. But you know what it does have something to do with? The Uniparty. And they're all working together. They all act like they, you know, they're, they're, they're um, mortal enemies. But in reality, the vast majority of them are just the other side of the coin. And they know that. They're in on, on the gig. But the rest of us, we got to keep kept in the shadows but uh that 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 2.2 trillion dollar bill it, it reminded me of that uh quote that's attributed to uh, george washington government is not reason it's force um you know i don't know the whole thing off the top of my head but it's it's a really good quote and he was right and it's like this is exactly what he was talking about that this is government being force it's just forcing its own will on the people it's supposed to actually be taking care of and protecting. Well, let me rephrase that because government is not supposed to take care of you. You're supposed to take care of yourself and government is supposed to be just to make sure we have a standing army. And, you know, it, it always grows out of control, which I think is what George Washington was getting at as government being forced and not being eloquent and um, being its own master essentially is what it, what it eventually gets to. And I, I think we're seeing that in real time. Yeah, they're using the dollars that we send them to bequeath to us, or create the illusion that they're giving us something so that, that they can get our thanks for giving us our own money back. Uh, and it's done, I think, uh, for their own personal gain. There's no, no question about that. They've all financially gained. So you, you watch that, that Nancy Pelosi stock tip uh, Twitter uh, <laughs> account, and it just tracks you know, how she's become exorbitantly wealthy just because right. of uh, her connections that she has. But I think that we have to take personal accountability because the Republicans signed off on that bill as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, so they, they signed their own death warrant when it came to any sort of election malfeasance. Uh, where was accountability there for them? And I think ultimately uh, we have to address the last thing personally before we get into uh, the latter part of the sandwich where we can go back to good again. Uh, and Garrett, I want to, uh, Ryan, can you queue up this video number three? Uh, and I want Garrett to watch it and then get his thoughts. Um, I know he has some on idolatry. Go ahead and roll it. From mugshot to coffee mugs in a matter of minutes, former President Donald Trump is fundraising off his historic booking photo after surrendering to authorities last night. Natalie Brand reports on the latest people following Mr. Trump facing the Fulton County Jail photographer, all charged with conspiring to overturn Georgia's 2020 presidential election. It's former President Donald Trump's fourth criminal indictment, but his first time having a mugshot taken. What has taken place here is a travesty of justice. We did nothing wrong. I did nothing wrong. He arrived at the Fulton County Jail in Atlanta Thursday to be booked on charges that he and 18 co-defendants schemed to reverse his 2020 election loss in Georgia. We have every right, every single right to challenge an election that we think is dishonest, that we think it's very dishonest. 
In an interview with Newsmax, the former president called his booking a terrible experience, but it hasn't kept him from selling mugshot merchandise on his campaign website. He also returned to X, formerly known as Twitter, for the first time since being banned in January 2021. All right. Now, look, I don't want to get into the electoral aspects to it. I don't want to get into the guilt or innocence of Donald Trump on any aspect of, of that case. What I want to hammer in on is the just the idolatry aspect to it, where we're going to put the guy's face on mugs and, and T-shirts and things. And um, I was always under the impression that uh, the glory be going, be, belongs to one source and, and not another. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, GOB? Yeah, man, I could go deep on idolatry. Um you know, even even as a believer, I'm sure there are aspects of my life that aren't perfect, or that there are things I idolize too. But uh, when you first mentioned this to me this morning, I I really started thinking about it hard. And um, <clears throat> for those who have read my Substack, I know it's I know I I keep it kind of under lock and key for now. <clears throat> but um, and Steve and Kyle know this, and some others. But uh, I, I jokingly, half jokingly, refer to Wisconsin as Nineveh, and uh, I started my Substack with this idea of comparing Wisconsin to Nineveh and our our path and our journey uh, in comparison to that of Jonah. And so I, I thought about this in regards to idolatry because the uh, the the sailors when Jonah was trying to flee to Tarshish uh, were all pagans. Uh, but in, in Jonah chapter two, verse eight, it says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Mm. And, you know, it may, Donald Trump may not be a carved image, but uh, putting him on your mug or a, a T-shirt or or really holding him up. And, and and you know what's interesting about this is it's a lot on the uh, on the Christian, quote unquote, Christian right, who idolized Donald Trump the most. And it's like, hey, have you when have you remembered what the Bible says a, a, about that? And he's not going to save you. He's not going to save us. That's what I want to hammer in on. Like that. That's that's my biggest problem with it. And like, look, I don't care about. But back your guy, man. Wave yeah. your flag. Wear your hat. I don't even have a problem with you have a T-shirt with his name on. No, for but sure. you cannot argue that any man. I don't care if his name is Vivek Ramaswamy, Asa Hutchinson, Donald Trump, Nikki Haley, Ron DeSantis. Joe Biden, Gavin Newsom, <laughs> that is a man or a woman, they're not going to save you. Nope. And the solution to turning around the problems that we have itemized here uh, throughout the, most of the show uh, is not going to be just, just got to vote harder and we got to worship more at the altar of one person. Right. Uh, we need to actually have tangible, concrete solutions, an actual plan to take the country back in a better direction. Ryan, did you have a question? Uh, yeah, I did. I was just curious on what is, what is ISIS's job? Like what do, what does ISIS do? Is their sole purpose just to destroy a country or what, what is the mission of ISIS? I think it's to install a caliphate in yeah. the Middle East. So would we consider the FBI in the United States, the American version of ISIS? Man. I mean, you're speaking my love language. I got to be honest. Ryan. Um, <laughs> uh, and and I mean, they definitely like to post. They like. I mean, I th I'm not. I'll give the hat tip here to to Jesse Kelly. He made this argument. I think that this week earlier, he said that that's what terrorist groups do: is they post the video taking credit. And the FBI loves to post videos of themselves taking people out. They'll put that out there. I mean, 
and and claim it and stake their claim to it. So I think that there's a Dude. there's a strong at least metaphor metaphorically speaking, the FBI ISIS connection is is very strong here. Well done. Ron. And they and they technically installed Joe Biden, correct? So they installed a position a president. And they're yeah, they contributed for sure. They they helped uh, in the election narrative, and uh, they definitely during the Trump administration were hindering him greatly. I mean, they were trying to pull up, you know, uh, Mike Flynn and and brought the Russian collusion uh, investigation, which was fully debunked. Um, and I think that the the FBI was a heavy handed player in that. Uh, and which is why I've been arguing for for measures to reform. Well, I've been arguing to actually dismantle it, but um, I'm I'm a little bit more pragmatic about what our prospects are of doing that. Which is great. Thank you for this for the transition. So now we get to the uh, the back end of the sandwich here. So back to good again. Now that we've uh, taken some accountability and we've uh, we've admitted we've transgressed, what can we do? What is the plan to actually solve it? And I, I I'm Look, I'm just a man. I'm not. Uh, I'm not going to be the savior here. I have some ideas. I don't think that the that they're sufficient, but uh, I would like to see um, maybe them in, implemented or at least tried or at least discussed. And we can do that here with with GOB Actual. And the first one is, and as I've hammered home, is the doctrine of the lesser magistrate. We have to look to the local government to solve our problems or and stand in the gap and be the bulwark against an out of control federal government and be, just look at the name of our country it's the united states it states is paramount here so we should rely on our state government far more than our federal government you should know who your mayor is and your city council way more than your rep at the uh, the federal level or your senator or even the president and i had the experience last week and it was it was great and this was down in collier county florida so uh, on the west side, they uh, is the home of Naples, and I uh, had an interaction a couple months ago with a, uh, an attorney there. Her name is Christina Huser. She's a civil rights attorney, and she had been working on an initiative there with a group to pass a Bill of Rights Sanctuary County Ordinance. Now, this, if you want to uh, to pull up video number four here, Ryan, uh, this is in the aftermath of it. But I want to sort of set the groundwork for it. Um, this is going to be something that the county can protect their citizens from an out of control fed. Can we roll this video? States is the land of the free and one county says those freedoms can be extended to whether or not we cooperate with the federal government. Collier County Commissioner Chris Hall is reviving the controversial Bill of Rights Sanctuary Declaration. And this would prohibit any agent, department, employee, or official of Collier County from enforcing or investigating any activity relating to an unlawful act. Now, this is defined as any federal act, law, order, rule, or regulation which violates or unreasonably restricts, impedes, or impinges upon a person's constitutional rights. White News reporter Michelle Alvarez is live at the Collier County Commission and Michelle, what do people think about this ordinance? Supporters believe the ordinance will guarantee smaller government and less federal control, and the majority of Collier County commissioners agree. The measure passed four to one. Collier County Commissioner Chris Hall had a mission Tuesday, and he got it done. Collier is now a Bill of Rights sanctuary county. This is not an ordinance to, to go against any constitutional law that comes forth. This is an ordinance that allows you, the people, 
to be protected by anything that comes down that's unconstitutional or what we would call an unlawful act. The commissioners debated the issue once before in 2021, but the issue failed to pass. Sheriff Kevin Rambosk supported the proposal two years ago and did so again Tuesday. My oath and office commits um, to a very solemn and sincere manner to support, protect, and defend the Constitution. In fact, in our agency, we live with this oath every single day, and, and it's relatively familiar to us. And we've been doing that for 100 years. The ordinance. All right. So that's Collier County. I spoke actually at that county meeting. That was the Board of Commissioners meeting. They invited me to come down. And look, it's blocking and tackling. It's not sexy. It's not catching the winning touchdown in the Super Bowl. You're not the wide receiver. You're not the quarterback who threw it. You're the uh, offensive tackle who was blocking on that play. And this is something that the lion's share of people are going to have to get involved with. And, and let me tell you, get down to the little more granular level of what that involved with these people. They brought forward, this is mostly derived from the 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 COVID uh, shutdowns and lockdowns. And, and they were very unhappy with that, as, as most of, I think, America was. So they initially proposed that at a county level, and it was struck down three to two. They lost. And they did not take their ball and go home. Instead, they worked through the grassroots to elect two different commissioners to that board. And they changed the, the way that it was constituted. And that resulted in a four to one victory when they reproposed the same ordinance two years later. That was a long-term plan. They implemented it at their local level to protect their people against out-of-control weaponized federal government, and they deserve the kudos for that. And, and just to, to, to paint the picture, when I went down there, um, they said that this was a pretty big agenda item. It was agenda item number two. Agenda item number one was pickleball court installations in the county. So we sat there for three hours as 33 different speakers debated pickleball courts. This is America now. Uh, you, your priority is pickleball over Bill of Rights. But that's that's what it's going to take, that you're going to have to sit there for that length of time and, and, and be uncomfortable and then get up and, and speak and work hard at the grassroots level to, to see the change that you need that's necessary at this point. And I, I want to give a hat tip to two of the folks that um, you get three minutes to speak as a, as a public uh, forum, but you can yield your time to somebody else, as long as you're there when your name is called. Two people sat there for the entire day so that they could yield their time to me and give me nine minutes to speak as opposed mm -hmm. to three. They sat through the pickleball courts, they sat through all the discussions. That is what real citizenship at a local level looks like and, and they deserve uh, full acclaim. They deserve all the credit in the world for what they did there and I hope that that's a, a roadmap for, for future uh, ordinances around the country, certainly around the state of Florida, I think that's justified. Um, don't want to cut you short on this one, Garrett, but I want to get to uh, to the main problem, the main issue here, which is why we've entitled the show um, Mad World, Mutually Assured Destruction. Can we uh, cue up the final video here, Ryan, video number five, sort of set the stage for what this concept is and then maybe let the combat veteran get into it. Go ahead and roll video five. Captain, it's a 
Joshua. Strange game. The only winning move is not to play. How about a nice game of chess? The only winning move is not to play from the 1983 classic War Games. Man, haven't seen that in a while. I need yeah. to watch that one. I've missed that movie. Uh, Mutually Assured Destruction. That's sort of uh, the theme of that movie, and that's sort of a theme of a column that I put out this week at uh, under, un uncoverdc.com. Our friend Tracy Beans was gracious enough to publish it, and I think it is an apropos military concept that needs to be brought into the political sphere uh, to maybe right the ship and restore balance here. Can you explain, uh, one, mutually assured destruction, and then two, what seizing the initiative really is, Gary? Yeah, so mutually assured destruction is when uh, both sides agree to play the game, and both sides know if they do, they're both going to be destroyed. And I mean, there, there are whole uh, college-level courses that that get into this a lot deeper at places like West Point and Citadel and you know your other various military academies but um th that's the reader's digest version and sometimes in war that's the road that that countries or uh units will go down i mean it's rare but th there yeah. are times it's rational deterrence you have that weapon i have that weapon a few years yours i'll use mine so let's not play this game let's play chess instead Right. And um, would you agree that we're sort of we've been in that position for a while, um, but now the first launch has been initiated by the left and they've indicted a former president for different occasions. And as a result of that, the Republican side has not restored balance. They've not had a second straight. They certainly have the capability. I'd argue they do. Um, and as a result, they have lost the initiative. And can you get briefly into I mean, I've seen more movies. Uh, but you've lived through it. What is what is seizing the initiative, losing the initiative, regaining the initiative? What what does that mean? Yeah. So I mean, that's like, yeah. In in war, it's it's a whole another aspect. But I just I'm thinking of sometimes, especially in Afghanistan, where well, I'll just give a I'll try to make it brief because I know we're coming up. But um, we uh, we went to this village, and uh, to our knowledge, no the the previous unit that had been there for a year had never been there, and we. We had been there for probably like seven, seven or eight months at this point. And we're like, hey, we should probably go to that village. So we took some radios and some other crap to give them. And as we're leaving uh, the village, uh, we start getting shot at. And it's like, well, that has to be coming from the village because that's where we just came from. There's, there's no other explanation here. And so at that moment, we did not have the initiative. Uh, I mean, our backs are literally turned where we're walking, you know, 25 miles back to where we came from. And uh, so, you know, we take cover and start to maneuver different squads and elements around the mountainous region of Afghanistan that we were in to try to get some of that initiative back and, and shoot back and fire back. Thankfully, uh, and this is a way where we had the ability to get more initiative, there were um, a, a team of Apache gunships nearby. And so we were able to get some of that air support uh, and then we also had some artillery uh, that we called from our from our forward operating base, and so it's uh, it, you know it, you can you can use other analogies too like sports or whatever, but it's see 
regaining the initiative is when you're on your back heel and you're like, okay, we need to do something now. We need to act. We need and to get so, the momentum back. Yeah. And so it's always that action versus reaction um, type of mentality where you, you may be, you know, back on your, on your, on your back foot at first, but uh, then as you solidify your foothold and push back, you can regain that initiative or at least fight back and have a, have a fighting chance at winning. And in the grander scheme of our current political sphere, I think the, the conservative right is, is on its back heel or has their back turned to that, to that village right now, because they keep acting like there are rules and it has been shown by the left that they don't play by the rules or they have a different rule book and they're playing an entirely different game altogether right now. Correct. I think you, you nailed it right there. One side's playing by one set of rules. The other side is playing Calvin ball. They just make up the rules as they go along. And uh, so I want to pull up link number six. This is a column that uh, I actually put over to uncoverdc.com uh, on August 30th. It's called mutually assured destruction is the only solution to political lawfare. And I get into what I believe is a way to restore balance to the force, if we, if you will. Uh, and I, and I just want to, Direct what, what really I think, and I've, I've been calling for this for a while. Um, I think, in, and you've seen some other more prominent conservatives certainly call for this that red state attorney general, county prosecutors, district attorneys, they need to just start charging prominent Democrat politicians with crimes, very much like the way that President Trump's been, been charged. And that way we can say, this stops when you stop. And this is going to restore balance. It'll be a rational deterrence to both sides because I think the toothpaste is out of the tube on this, but nobody's really gotten specific. So I did my own homework and I know I talked to you offline about it too. And I decided to pick my first target. And uh, it's tough because so many of these, these Democrat politicians, especially the, the prominent ones, they only travel to blue areas or they or if it, it is a red state, they're in Austin, Texas, which is, you know, might as well be uh, San Francisco. So, I think that the, the solution to that is to look what their public statements are, because those will transcend borders and boundaries, which is why I chose Secretary of Energy, Jennifer Granholm, who tweeted out and encouraged people to take on debt to lease uh, an electric vehicle. It said, take advantage of these, these, um, these IRA benefits that got capacity, the, the Inflation Reduction Act, which is basically the Green New Deal. And I argued, and I citing left-wing sources, that debt is correlated to higher criminality. And as a result of that, she is in fact encouraging behavior that will increase statistically criminality in jurisdictions. And I think that state's attorney general and district attorneys should find the appropriate state charge to charge her with a crime. And moreover, anybody who retweeted that, who is a prominence, is part of the conspiracy. So I think that we could uh, rope in another 18 to 19 people, very much like they did in Fulton County, and, and turn about as fair play. It ain't no fun when the rabbit's got the gun. What do you think of that one? Oh, I love it. And, uh, you know, when we were talking about this, it got me thinking, you know, I, lately I've seen, I'm sure a lot of people have seen some of the, um, you know, some of the super cuts of, of Hillary Clinton and others denying election results, Al Gore. And I thought, you know, I wonder what the statute of limitations is on those, or or maybe since uh, the videos exist in perpetuity on the internet, we can say, hey, they clearly still hold that belief. Otherwise, that video wouldn't be on the internet, and just go ahead and charge anyways because 
that's what the left is doing. They're saying, you know, we know this is a lot of BS, but uh, we're going to indict uh, because we can. And as much as I hate to say it, like, because I, I really wish we weren't at this point, but hey, you can wish in one hand and take a giant crap in the other and see which one fills up first. And um, I think that I think you're right. The mutually assured destruction phase is where we are. And hopefully, like in war games, both sides will decide like, all right, we got to get back to uh, being serious and, and not doing this tit for tat nonsense. Otherwise, it, it, it will end in destruction. And, you know, um, Ryan popped up uh, Katie Gonzalez's uh, um, rumble or whatever it's called, uh, which she, she makes a good point about the mugshot T-shirt and whatnot. But but also it stands out because she said, I know how it ends. And if you have our faith and you're paying attention to what the Bible says, we do know how it ends. And whether it's Donald Trump or Joe Biden or whoever else, we have one true Lord and Savior we can look to, to to give us peace and hope. And while we're here on earth, whatever the left and right are doing, it's all playing to his tune anyways. Well, GOB, I might have the uh, the gift of the metaphor and the analogy, but you certainly have the way to finish and wrap things up. You did it in the congressional hearing. You did it here today. I could not have done better myself. Um, as we close it out here, why don't you uh, give everybody where they can find you on social media, plug the uh, last line. Yeah, GOB Actual Truth and Twitter and Instagram, lastline.substack.com. And uh, then, you know, Katie mentioned she buys a lot of T-shirts too. And I think everybody who's watching or listening should also buy some T-shirts. And you can at the-suspendables.com. Got a couple T-shirts on there that will help support us. And starting tomorrow, I think, I forget what I said it as, but if, if you check out, um, I think Friday through Monday and use the discount code labor, L-A-B-O-R, all caps on the-suspendables.com, you'll get a 10% discount. Awesome, awesome. Ryan, uh, can you pull up our five-star review for the day? We want to make sure we acknowledge the, uh, the Sarah fans who are out there. And uh, this is going to be from Charlie's Mom 2013. Go ahead and read. One of the most important podcasts out there, Kyle Serafin, former FBI agent, brings the heat and exposes the corruption running rampant in America's top law enforcement agency. As American citizens, we should be ashamed that we allow honorable whistleblowers to be maligned, falsely smeared, and financially bled dry by dishonest and incompetent bad actors in Washington, D.C. Thank you very much, Charlie's Bomb. I know that uh, I appreciate that. I know Garrett does. I know Kyle does. Uh, we're, we're hanging in there. We're staying in the fight. We're not going anywhere. Uh, Ryan, where can uh, folks find you? Uh, you can find me on Rumble, YouTube, at Ryan Matta, and Twitter, at Ryan Matta Media. All right, so folks, thank you very much for for having me and for Garrett a day, uh, two days in a row here. Uh, we were proud and uh, and honored to share the chair uh, that Kyle has, uh, has, has firmly planted his rumpus in normally, um, and, uh, and this is a great opportunity, and we hope that we, we brought you something to think about and enjoyed. You can follow me on Twitter at real Steve friend on true social at real underscore Steve friend. Again, my book is still out there. You can find it on Amazon. It's pinned to the top of my social media profiles. It's called true blue. My journey from beat cop to suspended FBI whistleblower. 
Have a fantastic Thursday. Friday is almost here. Friendly Friday is almost here to, to send you off into your Labor Day weekend. Thank you all very much, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to The Kyle Serafin Show, streamed live weekdays on rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin. Follow Kyle on Twitter, Truth Social, and Instagram at Kyle Serafin.